Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Leviticus 27.30 Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Malachi 3.10 Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. 2 Corinthians 9, 1-15 Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Exodus 35, 20-29 Then all the congregation the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, and every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. 
and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who can make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirring them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Exodus 36, 1 through 7. Bezalel and Ohiliab and every craftsman whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Ahiliab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anne, for reading the scriptures. And uh, that's the first time a pastor or anyone has had to tell a congregation to stop giving, I guess. I wanted you to see that because I thought it was quite humorous um, to see Moses having to, to restrain the people for giving. And I know that was a lot of scriptures. I just want to remind or tell you maybe what I feel uh, part of my role is, is to help to shape a congregation into the image of Jesus Christ, to be more like him, to walk like him. There's a lot of scriptures this morning, and uh, you might not be that used to reading that many scriptures in a row. It was less than a, net, an, a Netflix episode, okay? <laughs> it was less than that, and you probably watched one in the last two weeks. So, um, so if you're getting formed by the internet, then there has to be some counterformation that's happening, not just at church on Sunday as if it's an event, but through the network of relationships that is the body of Christ. And the scripture is pretty clear that there's a day coming when Steve Aaronholtz and Kevin Yope and I and the other elders will stand before the Lord and give an account for how faithfully we served the people that came under the hearing of God's word. So I'm getting ready for that day. And I wanted those scriptures to be read because I want you to be ready for that day also. 
I have to say just a couple announcements very quickly. Next week, uh, we will have a reception for Jonathan and Lorraine to thank them for their ministry after the service. Uh, we will have dessert at like 11.45 in the morning or 12 in the noon, okay? Um, so, Jonathan, love you. Next week, uh, just want you guys to have the chance to tell Jonathan uh, how much he's meant to you, the ways that he has... Uh, help to shape you in worship. And then secondly, so thank you, Jonathan, and there's a reception next week. Secondly, um, on space, we did sign a lease last Friday, but it's a contingent lease based on us um, being able to, being approved by the, the ZBA, the Zoning Board of Appeals. Um, the work continues there, although the landlord is paying for the work. Um, and the week after like eight days from now, that week, what I'd like to do is if anybody, is just to schedule a few times for people to be able to see it, if anyone wants to uh, see the space. And then lastly, the reason why we're giving these two books away is under that idea of formation. So the idea is that, put it this way, that we want you to be a mature, faithful, rooted follower of Jesus. And so we're giving you some resources to help you to do that. This is, for, this is the book, 1 Corinthians. You can study the, the, the passage during the week uh, on, the, on the left side and then write your notes on the, on the right side, or you can take notes in the service. But we want you to have that so you can dig deep. And then this is a book on, really, on what's all called financial discipleship. There's some kind of counterintuitive principles in there that we would like uh, for you to be thinking about. We're in this series called Warming Our Hands and Our Hearts. I think this is the first time I actually saw the... I usually just see it like on a small little screen. I'm sitting there and I've noticed that there's a heart in the middle of the flame. I, I'm usually facing that way, so I'm sure that's been obvious for all of you. But the idea that we've been talking about for six or seven weeks is we want uh, our vision of God to shape our hearts, to mold our hearts, and our vision of God to motivate our work, too, in the world. So we've been trying to be really clear about what our vision is. And we've been saying in one sense that, that being a, a mature follower of Jesus means being radically Christ-centered and radically church-centered. Now, you might not agree with the second part of it, that a person who is a, a, a mature Christian is radically community-centered. I'm going to give it to you from Calvin, who lived in the 16th century. He says, if we do not prefer the church to all the other objects of our interest, now he's like, he's a pretty harsh guy, okay, so this is going to sound pretty over the top, we are unworthy of being counted among her members, all right? He says, if you don't count it like the top thing for you, then yeah, you're probably not even a part of it. That's just his way of saying it. Augustine said it this way, he cannot have God for his father who refuses to have the church for his mother. Now, I know that we live in a culture a Me Too culture, a Church Too culture, where there's lots of abuse in the church. And so I want to recognize that. And yet, Christ has called you to be part of his body and to continue to, to help to build up the body of Christ. So this is one of the things that we've been talking a little about, bit about at, at the over the last few weeks, is this idea of placing the church and Christ at the center of our lives but I will say that sometimes our, our mission is at risk in Chicago. Um, hugged someone right before the service, said they read an 
article Christianity Today about pastors burning out. I'm not, I don't feel burned out, but I hang out with a lot of pastors. The only people that will be friends with me are pastors, so I hang out with them. And I was sitting with a bunch of pastors, this, just four guys, and one of the guys, his church closed in the last uh, two years. And it was a new church plant. It was like the best. You, so excited when it was getting off the ground. He had 70% of the people coming were non-Christians to hear the word preached. And when they hit COVID, they just couldn't survive the, the virtual services. So I, I do think that the, the mission, in one sense, feels at risk in different ways in Chicago. Um, I feel like the Lord is really coming alongside of us, but I do, I just, I want to begin the service by emphasizing, or the mes- this message, emphasizing the nature and the importance of the Christian community. William Wilberforce would not have accomplished what he did in abolishing the slave trade if it weren't for other people around him who, who like, said, keep going. John Newton, for instance, who wrote, wrote Amazing Grace kept him going. There was a group of people called the Clapham sect or the Clapham circle, and they created this incredible community around Wilberforce that established the British and Foreign Bible Society, established the Anti-Cruel Society, but kept Wilberforce going. And so I just want you to think about uh, uh, the, uh, the part of the reason why I say that is because Holy Trinity downtown has been enormously creative over the last 18 years or so and started lots and lots of different organizations like Together Chicago and the Charles Simeon Trust and uh, the Chicago Partnership for Church Planting and Hope for Chicago and about seven or eight different organizations. But this is like the core of life. The church is. And so if something like produces organizations but doesn't sustain its own people, we're in trouble. So part of what we're doing in this campaign, this initiative right now, is recorrecting to say we want to just strengthen our local church, love the people of God around us as a, as a kind of correction against some of our history. Um, raise your hand if you watched or read Lord of the Rings. Ready to go. Okay, Anne was the first one up. You win a prize. Raise your hand if you hate Lord of the Rings, just so I know who I'm dealing with right now. Okay, Lawrence hates it. Thanks, Lawrence, for your honesty. You can talk to Anne later. The two of you guys could get together, okay? There's this scene in, in the book and in the movie where um, Gladriel uh, has this uh, really interesting quote, and if you watch the little clip, it's only 37 seconds long. Everybody's there. Frodo's there with his, like, earnest, innocent eyes. Sam is there with all of his uh, kind of stumbling awkwardness and affable love. Um, Mary and Pippin are there kind of bouncing. I, I, think, uh, I think Aragorn is there. I think Boromir is there. I can't remember exactly. Legolas is there. Don't, I'm surely Gimli is there, right? They're all, they're all there. And uh, she looks at all of them And she says, it was I who first summoned the White Council. And if my designs had not gone amiss, it would have been governed by Gandalf the Grey, and then mayhap things would have gone otherwise. But even now there's hope left. 
these guys are really tired from the work they're doing, the mission they're on. She says, um, I'm not going to give you counsel saying do this or do that. For not in doing or in contriving nor in choosing between this course or another can I avail, but only in knowing what was and what is, and in part also what shall be. But this I will say to you, your quest stands upon the edge of a knife. Stray but a little and it will fail to the ruin of all. Yet hope remains while the company is true. And what she's saying is that every good and perfect thing stands, sits on a knife edge. And a decision that I make next Friday night could take me out of gospel ministry. Or a decision that you make. But she says, as long as the company is true, hope remains. And in the local church, that is true, as long as the people of God cling to the gospel of Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who took your sins and sealed them in the tomb with a rock, and left them in the tomb and rose from the dead. As long as we hold to that, there's hope. But if we let go of that, there is no hope. So I just want to begin by giving you that little warning from Galadriel. Uh, my text for today is really just, uh, Pro- I know I read a, we read a lot of scriptures, but it's just Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, okay? It's two verses, it's four lines. Now, I might take you to a couple of the other texts, but Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 is the text. And I'm going to tell you that my, my main claim this morning is this, that God wants to renew our imagination surrounding generosity so that he can renew his blessing to us in the world and for the world. Let me say it again. God wants to renew our imagination around. There are times when God breaks into history and he does something brand new. And I believe he wants to renew our imagination around generosity. Today, I don't want to focus on for for Holy Trinity Church or something. I just want it to be about you how God might bless you. So I want your imagination around generosity to be renewed because I believe God can renew our blessing in and to the world. The passage that we have before us, please do turn there if you have a paper Bible or if you have an electronic device, you can turn to Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. And it's really just four lines. Verse 9, I'll put it this way. I'm going to give you a couple headers. Stick in your mind, okay? So one is first fruits generosity. That's verse 9. And then verse 10 is first fruits blessing. So I'm just going to show you the relationship between those two. First fruits generosity and first fruits blessing. I'll show you something first on verse 10. I'll just read verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. So this is very agrarian and rural imagery. For those of you who are urbanites, you've seen paintings of barns, you know, like red barns out in the countryside. That's where they bring grain. Or uh, so corn or wheat could be gathered into the barn. Or cows, cattle, etc., So the imagery is like of this full barn, lots of grain, lots of animals. 
fullness. And then the second part is uh, a vat. It says then your, your, your vats will be ver- bursting with wine. Now, if you're an urbanite, I know you know what wine is. But the vat is like where, the, I don't know what that is, but uh, it's where they squash, squash the grapes. It's where they store the wine, okay? What the, what the author is saying He's, he's arguing against a tendency that we all have, which is called a scarcity mentality. If I have ten things and I give one of those ten to God, then I'll only have nine. And in a sense, what this passage is saying is no. If you have ten things and you give one to God, you'll have eleven or twelve. That's counterintuitive, right? But that's what the text is saying. Now, i got to say something about the nature of this text. We read a whole bunch of texts, and there was a bunch of different kinds. Some was law. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the law. Some was prophets. Malachi is a prophet. The law tells the commandments of God. The prophets prosecute the commandments of God and say, how come you're not keeping the law? This is neither of those kinds of literature. This is just wisdom literature. Wisdom literature doesn't give commandments, it gives principles. Wisdom literature is like, this is the way it works, all right? Um, It says things like, work hard and you'll have resources. That's not a command, it's a principle, it's different. And I want you to see the difference because wisdom literature, one of the dictionary definitions of wisdom literature, hokma, is skill in living. So verses 9 and 10 are just telling you, look, if you want to be smart, then be generous. (laughs) Because if you're generous, you'll be blessed. That's like in a really basic way what it's saying here. I'll I'll put it in in two points. One, verse 9, is that God's wisdom calls for recognizing the Lord with our wealth. It's very simple. The second point is this, that God's wisdom tells us that God blesses generosity. So let me take that first one. God's wisdom calls for recognizing the Lord with our wealth. God's wisdom calls for recognizing the Lord with our wealth. You can think of it as a kind of worship. In other words, what you do, what you and I do with our life, this is sometimes called a worship service, but every part of life for the Christian is about worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about um, about worshiping God with our whole lives. And the imagery is like, we're the sacrifice that is climbing onto the altar. Because Christ climbed onto an altar, we are now offering ourselves back to him. So what it says in the first line of verse 9, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And you say, ha, huh. I'm out. I'm not wealthy, except to live in America. He's really speaking of the goods that you have. And remember how Hebrew poetry works. It's not the ends of the lines that rhyme. It's the images or the concepts. So he, the author gives line one, and then line two expands on it. So there, there's a parallelism to it. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, and then... To amplify it, or another way of saying it is, and with the first fruits of your produce. What he's saying is that, well, you can think, let's go back to that, that first context. That would mean that 
when, when a crop of corn is being brought in, the first little bit of the corn is set aside for the temple. Or it's set aside for the Levites. It's set aside for the work of God. In other words, when, when the farmer is gathering everything into the barn, the farmer doesn't say, look at everything that is mine. He says, no, I'm going to take a portion of what I'm bringing in, what's called the first fruits, and I'm going to put it over here. So the concept I want you to think, be thinking about is the, the concept of first fruits generosity and what it looks like to honor God with first fruits generosity. And I'm just going to cl- clarify a couple of things today. First of all, I'm going to make a distinction between tithing and first fruits generosity. It's a tiny bit complicated, but hang with me. I believe that tithing is a subset of first fruits generosity. In other words, it's a, it's a one-tenth version of it. But your first fruits could be 20%, it could be 5 It's just the principle of taking some of the corn at first and setting it aside. Okay? And I do, my own view is that first, this kind of discipline of first fruits giving does continue to today. That even if you don't believe tithing, 10% is the way to do it, it seems very clear throughout the scriptures that giving to God of your first fruits is a way of giving. And here, there are four words on the, on the screen a minute ago, and I'm going to give you four words also. You can think of it as being first fruits getting, giving as being regular, consistent, proportional, and joyful. Regular, consistent, proportional, and joyful. In other words, the farmer's doing it as the harvest is coming in, He's going to set some, he or she is going to set some aside. If you put it forward to the modern concept, if you get paid every two weeks, then every two weeks, you're just setting aside a little bit and saying this part's going to the Lord. Today, I don't even want to argue that it should be centered on the church. All I want, I did that last week. All I want to argue today is for you, I want you to think about reimagining your generosity. And I would say probably, I have no idea. I'm going to say that maybe um, 30% of us are already in this kind of tithing, 10%, and 70% are, we give some. But it may not always be regular or consistent, and sometimes it's not, it's not joyful. Let me just hit on the joyful part for a second, and I'll come in a little bit later. But later we're going to look at God loves a cheerful giver. He loves stingy, crabby givers too. But, but he, I don't know, he loves the other one more or something. But think about it, like if two kids are arguing over a toy and one says, mine, 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 and the other one goes, fine. Like there's not a lot of joy in that giving, right? But it's something, there's a different mood and a different tone and joy if someone says, no, I really want you to have this more than me to have this. It communicates honor and blessing and encourage it like gives two gifts the financial gift but also the the gift of 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 tone and honor and joy i also am wanting to make so i'm i I, just for you here's what i here's the challenge for the the whole day is i want to challenge you to think about moving on a first fruit adventure in the next 12 months okay so if you already give 2%, praise God, 
maybe in, in anywhere in the world, maybe think about 3%. Or if you already give 3%, think about 4%. I'm saying think about the first fruits of what you earn and think about how you might um, increase your joy. I want to make a contrast now, and again, this is slightly technical, between first fruits and free will offerings. So they're just two different kinds of giving. When we just read Exodus, that was a free will offering. It was like it was like one kind one time kind of thing. Hey, we're building the tabernacle. We need a bunch of people to to bring gold and copper and whatever. Bring it on. That's a free will offering, but it's different than than this idea of um, first fruits, which is con- regular, consistent, proportional. And joyful. On this side, it's just like extra. So in our in our kind of modern day concept, one is like for the regular ministry of the church, that would be uh, first fruits offerings or fruits first fruits giving. The other one is like if we want to own a building someday in the downtown region, it will cost twelve million dollars. <laughs> And it's like, okay, well then, liquidate some assets in order to do that. I'm not proposing that we do that at this moment, um, but I'm trying to contrast the two kinds of giving. Okay, One is like, hey, here's a big event. We're creating the temple in the Old Testament or the tabernacle. And the other one is just the consistent giving that really the Levites lived off of and the poor lived off of to some degree. So that's why Leviticus 27.30 speaks of this idea of tithing. That's on the first fruits idea. Literally, tithe just means one-tenth of the produce. And in, the, in, in Leviticus 2, sorry, in Leviticus 27, it says, whether of the seed of the land, that's the ground, or the fruit of the te- trees, it's the Lord's, it's holy, the Lord, it's a way of saying everything. Stuff that come, that's in the ground, stuff that comes out of the ground, one-tenth of it belongs to the Lord. So to just answer the question, is tithing required by modern-day Christians? I would say no, it's not required. But it's a great place to begin. <laughs> but first fruits giving is. Giving from whatever you have earned to the Lord, I do believe is. Again, is tithing required by modern-day Christians? I don't think it is. It's a great place to begin. But what is required by modern-day Christians, or at least what's modeled in the New Testament, is radical generosity. So when you read what happened in the book of Acts, were they giving 10%? No. They were giving <laughs> way more than 10%. So one way to think about uh, first fruits is that it is a kind of um, training wheels to begin. I'm going to close out this point, but let me say this. View this. I want you to view it as a way of worshiping God. Honor the Lord. That's the, that's the heart of it. And then take the next two weeks to be really practical and think about your own budget. If you have a financial advisor, go to your financial advisor and say, what would happen if I did X, Y, or Z? I'm going to tell you, close this point with a story about a guy named Alan Barnhart. Alan Barnhart, probably only one or two of you know who he is. But he, uh, he, he built a crane company, or kind of from the ground up. When he was in his 20s, 
he, in 1986, in his mid-20s, he studied the Bible to see what it said about money-making. Wherever he turned, he found warnings that money can be dangerous. And he said, I read all these verses, and I thought, I want to be good in business, and I'm competitive, but I don't want to make so much money that it would damage my life. That's pretty countercultural. And I could see where it really could damage my life. So these, the two brothers did something unusual. When they launched their new crane and rigging company, they voted to cap their income at the level of the middle-class fellow members of their Sunday school class in Memphis, Tennessee, and then channel as much of it as they could into their company. So they capped their wealth at under $50,000 at that time. I'm saying this because... This is first fruits giving that like blows the categories off of tithing. He gives 99% of his wealth away and capped it at a certain level. So I, I'm wanting you to reimagine. That's, the, that's the, um, the challenge part of it is to honor the Lord with your wealth. This is what his wife said. Um, she said, I taught, we taught our kids early the joy of giving. I taught them, we taught them the joy of contentment. And then he said, there are great benefits to a kid hearing the word no and the theology of the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. That's what he said. All right, so first fruits giving is verse 9. First fruits blessing is verse 10. And God's wisdom tells us that God blesses generosity. If the first part is that God wants us to honor him with our wealth. The second point here is that God wants us to um, be blessed through our giving. I already mentioned this. This isn't the law. It's not, this is how you must live. This is wisdom literature that says that God blesses the generous. So another way to think of this is this is not an ironclad promise that if you do this, God does this. He's not a slot machine. He's not a vending machine where you put in your prayer, or you put in your generosity, and then he does this. There's a statement about how God generally, generally blesses those who are uh, willing to be generous. It is conditional in this phrase, but it's a principle rather than a command or an ironclad promise. Now, uh, to help you unpack this a little more, I w- I'm going to press on you for a moment more, okay? I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 9, because I want you to see this idea of reimagining generosity, if you would. And I'm going to give you the context of 2 Corinthians 9. It really kind of begins in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul does. Um, But Paul is, is really coming after the imagination of the people of God. If you're turning there, turn actually to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. I, I really wanted to bring a, a dry erase board up here and write a math equation on the board. I didn't, so picture it with me, okay? There's a math equation in verse 2, which says this. Three things, that number 1 plus number 2 plus number 3 equals number 4. And here's the three things. I mentioned this briefly last week. Severe affliction, this is to reimagine what giving is like. Get outside of your box. Severe affliction, in other words, the people who were giving in 1 Corinthians 9 were going through a terrible trial. That's severe affliction. Plus abundance of joy. So call severe affliction SA, 
plus abundance of joy, AJ, plus extreme poverty, number four, equals or overflowed with a wealth of generosity. <laughs> so if you look at it like just from a human perspective, you can have people who are in tremendous affliction and extreme poverty be extraordinarily generous. With God, you can. He can mess with the number somehow. I don't know exactly how it works. But, but he lives outside of the way that we think about our own generosity. And it says in verse 3, it says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. How Again, how can you give beyond your means? If you're relying on the Lord, it's possible to do so. Verse, look at chapter 9. Chapter 9 Verses 1 to 5 gives a little bit of background. Basically, what's happening in 9, 1 to 5 is Paul saying, look, don't embarrass me. I told these other churches that you guys were going to give some money, and now I'm going to send somebody to pick it up, and it'll be kind of awkward if I told them that you're going to give some money, and then you don't do it. So he's like trying to, get, he's trying to draw a line in the sand, like, I'm sending somebody, so I'm going to look really bad if... You guys don't give a gift, and you're going to look really bad. This, by the way, is the second kind of giving. It's free will offering. It's not a tithe. Okay? But the principles there apply to both. And this is where I want you to, again, reimagine your, our generosity together. Verse 3 of chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, he basically says, don't let me down. He says he wants it to be a willing gift. That's the joy side of it, not exaction. And then he comes after their imagination. Here's what he says in verse 6. If you sow more seeds, you'll reap more harvest. What he's really saying is the more that you give seeds of generosity, the more that you'll reap. Now I know you're starting to feel like I'm becoming a prosperity gospel person. I'm just looking at the text with you, okay? I, it, you know how agriculture works. So like, if you, the more seeds that you sow the more you can expect to harvest. What he's saying is, if you just, sit, if you just plant three seeds, you're going to get two, two crops. He's saying plant lots of seeds of generosity. And then he says, again, this is where I want you to reimagine, the point is whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then he says it's really actually about your heart. This is where the joyful part comes in. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, what God wants for us is to free our hearts from the things of the world so that when we give to him, we say, thank you for letting me participate in the mission that you're doing in the world. Thank you for letting me worship you in the same way that the woman who anointed Jesus' head and his feet did it out of worship. And the disciples were like, man, you could have spent that on something better. And she's like, no, I'm worshiping him right before he goes to his death. So I'm calling you to just try this first fruits adventure. Try it this year. Try this adventure. Here's what it continues on to say. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency in all things at all times. In other words, if you put a little bit aside for God, he has so much in his storehouses 
that he can provide sufficiently for you. So that you may abound, it says, in every good work. And then in verse 9 says, as it is written, he is distributed freely and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I got to wake, wake you up for a second. Help me out. Dialogical. Who's the he in verse 9? I'm going to read it again. Wrong answers and right answers. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Who's the he there? Somebody? Jesus. Thanks, Ann. That has to be at least the first shot, right? Jesus or Christ. Yes. But it's actually not. And again, we're coming to the last couple minutes of this episode on Netflix. But I want you to see, this is a quotation. And if you get this this morning... I think it blows your mind a little bit. So I want you to see who the he is, which means you have to turn to Psalm 112. So here's what Paul's doing. He's saying, hey, I want you to reimagine your wealth and how you give. And he says, there's this one guy who just gives freely, and he gives to the poor. And this one who gives freely, his righteousness will endure forever. So if you turn over to Psalm 12 and you're like, who's the he? Who's the one who, who gives freely to the poor? Now, do you guys know who it is now? Jesse's got it. Who is it, Jesse? It's the church close. Sorry, I didn't mean to give you, get, give you the wrong answer. Turn to 112, everybody. Psalm 112. Somebody who thinks they really know, give me a shout out. It's verse 12. Yeah, <laughs> Tobin. No, I thought you had your hand up. I'm going to read it to you, okay? Blessed, go ahead. Yeah, it's the man who fears the Lord or the woman who fears the Lord. So when Paul is saying, I want you to reimagine generosity, he says, let me show you the picture of someone who is generous. And what he says is, blessed, he quotes this psalm. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. Listen to what it says about the one who greatly delights in the commands of the Lord. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. I read this at my mother-in-law's funeral to her kids because she was someone who feared the Lord and greatly delighted in his commands. And they all sang a song like 40 grandchildren on the stage. I felt like, man, how mighty in the land. Wealth, listen to this. The one who greatly delights in the Lord, wealth and riches are in his house. His righteousness endures forever. Skip down to verse 5. It's well with the man who deals generously and lends. Look at verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm trusting in the Lord. In other words, there's another way to contentment and solidity and steadfastness in the world, and it's by delighting in the commandments of God. You try to protect yourself financially. You try to protect yourself physically. And this is saying, delight in his commandment. 
commandments, and it's a weird kind of protection in the world. And then verse 9, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. And what he's saying in this text is, he goes on. I don't, I'm not going to make you turn back to 2 Corinthians, but I'm going to tell you what it says then. He goes, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, if you want to be a person who scatters lots of generosity into the world, like Johnny Appleseed walking through all of the United States, what Paul is saying is that God will hand you another sack of seed, so to speak, in order to continue distribute freely. He'll give you bread to share. And as you stride through the earth like Johnny Appleseed, what will sprout out from your, sprout out from your money and your coins is not more money. But what it says is righteousness. Think about it in the reverse. By stinginess, what are the ways in which God's righteousness has not gone out in our culture? Because we hold on and hoard. This is why Malachi says this. Actually, verse 9, he says, you're robbing me. He says, you're robbing me. And the people say, how, how are we robbing you? He says, you're robbing me because you're not giving me what is mine anyways. And then he says, put me to the test, please, and see if you will give generously if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour down bread for you. Paul is trying to open up something in our minds to say that God has enough resources for you to be generous, and that if you are generous, what he says in 2 Corinthians 9 is that you will reap a harvest of righteousness. 30, 60, and 100-fold. For us to maximize our impact, we have to maximize our generosity. We have to go out on the edge a little bit. This is it. This is your last chance to live. Only chance to live is this one life right now. And they lived with radical generosity in the New Testament. To be countercultural, to say I'm going to do it a different way so that there is a harvest of righteousness. If you want full vats, then activate First fruits giving. If you want full barns, take the adventure of first fruits giving over the next 12 months. Generosity and gladness are related. Generosity makes you glad. And gladness spurs on generosity. That's really all I wanted to say this morning. I know that wasn't all, but because that was a lot. But I'll close with this and just... Uh, remind you of, of what Galadriel said, that the mission stands like on a knife's edge. And for it to remain true, the company itself must remain true. God wants to help you reimagine your generosity. 
using biblical categories so that you can renew and reactivate his blessing in you and through you in the world. So may God call us to a harvest of righteousness as he calls us to so many, many seeds in our world. Take the first fruits adventure towards regular, consistent, proportional, and joyful giving and put God to the test. He asks you to put him to the test to see what he'll do. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the attention span of those who are here and for uh, your love for us. And thank you that next week we can move on to uh, just walking through 1 Corinthians. But I do pray for all of us, Lord, over the next few weeks that you'd help us to take a, take a step in this uh, adventure of generosity to trust you that if we honor you with our wealth, if we give to you our first fruits, that as man, men and women, as women and men who delight in your law and delight in your commandments, that our hearts would be unmoved, that children would be mighty in the land, that the righteousness of the people of God would endure forever. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.